grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading for this morning is First Chronicles, the 16th chapter. And let's begin at verse 28. <clears throat> we'll cover a little more of that as we go on, but let's begin with verse 28. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before Him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the, them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar, and all it contains. Let the earth exult, and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations, and give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I am very grateful this morning for modern technology. Since I saw you last, I had my throat cut. Uh, I'm operating on half a thyroid this morning, and the doctor says that's okay, but uh, I've learned that I can sing bass about as well as I used to be able to sing tenor. Uh, why is that so funny? <laughs> but you know what? This is not heaven, and we deal with this life as it comes. And I've learned some important things over the years that I've been on this earth. God does not work for me. It's the other way around. And God loves me even with half a thyroid. And I'm whole because of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are this morning in, in your walk with the Lord, He loves you with an everlasting love. And this morning we're going to talk about a few things. Um, I've known some of you a long time. 
and you've known me a long time, and you're here this morning anyway, and that's uh, good. Alice and I spent a little time yesterday walking around in a cemetery. I've always been a little strange that way. But you can read a lot, and, and by the way, these are not my normal glasses. This, I forgot those this morning, too. But we saw some old friends, or at least tombstones that had their name on it, and it reminded us of the path that we've taken here. We spent most of our ministerial life in the state of Virginia, and a lot of it here. And as I've shared before, uh, it was the worst of times and the best of times. It depends on what you want to concentrate on. But isn't that the way life is? The Bible says think on certain things, which means you don't need to think of the other stuff. Um, You could stay mad the rest of your life if you could rehearse all the bad things that's been done to you. And that's not even beginning to describe what Satan would have in mind for you if it weren't for Jesus and it weren't for the security of the believer. But the history of this church is interesting. Uh, Not just our part when we were here, but uh, it's been through highs and lows. It's been through a time when Northern Cavalry stabled their horses in this building, and it was used for a hospital probably for both sides. Um, It has seen revival. It has seen drought. We experienced, when we were here, one of the most supernatural moves of God that I can remember ever in my life. And I was reminded of that, just walking through and visiting with the graves of old friends that have gone on. None of us are here forever, but we are creatures of eternity. And we want to talk about that this morning in the context of praise. I am thankful that there are another couple of Tom Musselmans that are here that are sitting under wonderful preaching of the Word. And you are indeed blessed. Um, And I didn't know the big guy himself would be here this morning, but... uh, (laughs) So I I have to be careful what I say about him, but let that sink in a minute. But when we came here in 1974, um, Alice came never having seen the place, and the pulpit committee came to Western Carolina and and blew me up. That had never happened to me before. And they put me up at what used to be the Holiday Inn on top there, where they had the ice skating rink and the the whole thing. And on one side, I could see the Shenandoah Valley. And when I looked this way, I could see the Rockfish Valley. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can speak to you in that kind of scenery. And we came. By the grace of God, it was a time that we grew, and hopefully some other people grew in the Lord. And I'm delighted at this particular stage of our life to be standing here and to be sharing with you. 
Going through the cemetery reminded me yesterday that when we came, there were people at different stages of their walk on this earth, just like this morning. I don't know all of you, I know some of you, and I don't know everybody's commitment to the Lord, but I bet you you fit one of these categories. People are here that sit in darkness, and we pray, as Bill prayed, that God would light us a fire, and that flame would be the heat that draws through the Holy Spirit a commitment to Jesus Christ. There were those in darkness, there were those dabbling in the faith, a dangerous place to be, where I was for 26 years until God in his sovereign mercy reached down and opened my dead eyes. And I pray that he'll do that for you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. And with those, there were those just beginning their relationship with Jesus. I remember a guy named Chuck Patton that was in this church, and he was superintendent of Sunday school, and Chuck didn't know Job from Job in the Bible, but he, he, he loved Jesus. And people were talking about hang-ups and problems they're having, and Chuck stood right here, just about right there. And he said, everybody talks about hang-ups. I'm not going there. Y'all can go there if you want to. And isn't that a good description of where we ought to be? Why get hung up on the problems of this world when you're children of eternity and you know you read the last chapter and you won? Jesus Christ will come and deliver us. And there are those of us here this morning, like then, on, on, on different stages of your pilgrimage with the Lord. This is a word for all of us. You are like me, some of you, nearer eternity than you've ever been. And I'm beginning to look forward. I don't think that I'm morbid. But I'm beginning to look forward with the reunions that we're going to have with loved ones who've gone before. And I can't wait to meet Jesus, my parents, and Robert E. Lee. That's as far as I'm going with that one. <laughs> but I'm getting to a point where that old gospel song makes sense. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And I want to extend that comfort to you this morning. If you know the Lord, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then I pray that he will touch you. And open your eyes. Wherever you are in your journey, it's checkup time. And the question is, a couple of questions. What's the point? And why are you here? Why did you get created? Why did God see fit to give you the breath of life? Going back to our passage, this was a time in the life of God's people when they had victory over the Philistines. They had been defeated and the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. And Eli's 
sons and Eli died at the news of the capture of the ark. The ark of the covenant was pivotal for God's people. Now, I, I have had to repent of several flippant comments I've made over the years. One was you can't put God in a box. Well, in reality, you can't. But as we read this passage, it's going to be interesting. God did say, I will meet you where there's a box. But it was a special box, the Ark of the Covenant. And the celebration extended over several miles as they carried the Ark back. The Philistines had it, and they had such a hard time that they brought it back and brought a whole bunch of stuff as tribute. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, you saw what happened to the Nazis when they opened the Ark and tried to look at it. I'm not saying that's biblical, but I'm saying that was a special thing. And God's people rallied around the Ark of the Covenant, and nobody put God in that box, but he chose to meet his people in the context of the Ark of the Covenant. Let me, let me read what I'm talking about. Exodus 25, 8. Well, I'll get there in a minute. 25, 8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. 25, 22. God says, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all I will give you in the commandment to the sons of Israel. Now, we all know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't confine him to a particular place. You don't come to a church to be saved. You, that can happen anywhere. Not any more than you go to a funeral home to die. Uh, it's God's everywhere. But this is a particular place where God met with his people. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Nothing takes him by surprise. And he's omnipresent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. Omnipresent means he's everywhere. He always has been. Because God was there before the beginning. And I don't understand that. But I believe it. He always will be there. I can't even get my head around how somebody can live forever. In my mind, everything has to have an end, but it never does. That's the joy that we have in Christ of knowing that we will worship him and enjoy his fellowship and the fellowship of our loved one forever and ever and ever. God's people came to a tent in the wilderness, to a box, really, because God says, I'll meet you there. Now, why did God do that? Because God wanted to. Because for the sake of his people. Think about this. There was another instrument of wood years later that gives us the ability to worship him and to be in his presence 
and to personally know him. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross and bled and suffered and died for us and he rose again that we might have eternal life. God's people came to worship. You can read about the different aspects of worship. David appointed certain people to play instruments and to sing. And I appreciate worshiping God. If you have sensed the presence of God in the midst of worship, that's because He's there. God loves to be worshipped. And I love to worship God. And the Ark of the Covenant and the worship around it, you can say that it was the earthly example of the way worship is in heaven. Somebody said if, if, if shouting makes you nervous down here, you're going to have a nervous breakdown in heaven. I figured I'd get a rise out of you. I've known Bill longer than you have. Worship was joyful. It was noisy. David was the one that, that took off his robes and danced before the ark. Looked disgusting to his wife, but he had a good time. It was joyful, it was noisy, it was meaningful, and it was focused. And that's the way worship ought to be. Beloved, don't get hung up on what kind of worship or whether it's traditional or contemporary or whatever. Rejoice in the fact that the focus of our worship is the living God made known to us through Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. Verse 43, last verse of the 16th chapter. After it was all over, then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. See, we don't leave it at the door of the church. We worship the Lord in our everyday life. Only a faith that rules your life can save your soul. If Jesus is real, then we, we speak to our children when we're sitting down, when we're walking, when we're doing our chores. I don't understand a Christianity that doesn't affect every aspect of our lives. Separation of church and state, get out of town. There's no separation in the Bible between what you do the other six days of the week and what you do on Sunday morning. So don't miss the fact that they went away from worship to bless their families and to bless anybody else. What's the point? Now this is a good description of what God did and what his people did in response thousands of years ago. But a point of a good sermon is, what does it say to us? How are we going to apply that to our lives? What are we going to take away? Why are you here? What what did we come this morning to accomplish? All kind of reasons. All kind of reasons. It's like the guy that got up and he said, I don't want to go to church this morning. And his wife said, well, we, we need to. Let's get on up and go. 
He said, well, I, I don't want to go. I'm not going this morning. I'm tired of it. I don't like those people. They don't like me. She said, well, come on, please get up. He said, well, give me two reasons. She said, well, it's Sunday, and you're the pastor. <laughs> you don't know as much about me as you thought you did. <clears throat> and where was I? Maybe a more basic question is, what's the point of life? Why did God put us here? And what is the reason? I'll warn you, and there's no clock on the wall, but I'm trying to be aware of it. I haven't preached since last fall. And... I thought about that when I was preparing this, and I figured out that we could figure out a week's worth of, of this, this whole issue, so I'm, I'm going to try to do this reasonably. A lot of ideas in scriptures come to your mind when God's people are sitting in front of you, and you're the one God picked to say something. And I don't want to waste your time, and I certainly don't want to presume on God. So let's do it this way. In the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, any elder, deacon, pastor that's examined, and I went through this, and any of these guys or others know what I'm talking about. What they do is ask you a question. Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are inspired of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Now, to me, that's the watershed. That's why we left the denomination back in the 70s, because the mainline denomination decided that the infallibility of the Word was not important. If I didn't believe that, I'd go back to coaching football. Of course it is. That's the basis upon which you come as a leader in this denomination. And the second question that we're asked when we are examined, do you believe that the Westminster larger and shorter catechisms contain the system of doctrine taught in Scripture? Now that's a hang-up for some people. But I'm not telling you, and I do not believe, and I know nobody that believes this, that, that is equal with Scripture. But we say the Apostles' Creed. We get up and we sing the glory of Patri. It's a way of saying this is the basic framework that we believe. So, having said that, life on this earth can be summed up into the two questions, the first, no, the first question of the shorter catechism. Used to be every Presbyterian child in every Presbyterian church just about memorized the shorter catechism. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but the first question is, what is man's chief end? What are we here for? Why are you alive? What is the point? And the answer to that is to glorify God and to enjoy Him 
forever. Now, a lot of us grow up thinking the second part of that second question is to enjoy God and to endure Him forever. But it isn't. There's a joy in serving the Lord. There's a joy to glorifying the Lord. The, bit, the rest of the sermon, and it's not going to be that long, I promise you, is two parts. What does it mean to glorify the Lord? And then, what does it mean? What is it like? What is the experience of enjoying Him forever? First of all, what does it mean to glorify God? Man, the worship this morning is talking about the heavens and the trees and the rocks and the ocean. Jesus said one time, if they don't glorify me, then the rocks themselves will cry out. And I don't understand that, but I see God's creation. And it didn't just happen. Give me a break. There had to be a creator. And everything glorifies God. Everything in heaven. The music, the worship is constant in heaven. And I don't know what it sounds like, but I can't wait. It's constant glory. How do you glorify a God that's already receiving all the glory? What device from puny humans can glorify God? Yet we are told that we're put here to glorify God. We are created. We are, and I can say this in a Presbyterian church, elected. From the foundation of the world to give glory to God. And He loves glory. I begin by, by saying that we need to begin by making our calling and election sure. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you know that you know that you know? That if you died tonight, you'd go to be with the Lord. That's pretty basic. You know, and now don't tell me I'm trying or all this. You either know or you don't know. You either belong to Jesus or you belong to the devil. Now, I can't put it any clearer than that. There is no middle ground. And there is no purgatory. That's an eternal choice. Now, you couldn't make that choice. You couldn't even hear the word and it wouldn't make any sense unless God made a dead heart alive. But I don't know anybody that's saved that didn't remember receiving Christ. Paul could deal with both concepts, and I don't know why we can't do that either. Blessed are those that grow up in a godly home. We sit in a little Bible study that our daughter Laura and her husband in Knoxville conduct every week. Try to stay as quiet as I can, but they do a good job with it. And there was a young man on a video named Matt Chandler. People don't have any reason to know who that is, but he's from Dallas, Texas. And he just stands there in probably the same pair of blue jeans that he bought and still wears. And it worried me because there were about eight, ten parts to that. And every time I saw him every week, he had on the same shirt. Uh, 
So it finally dawned on me that this was a compilation of several meetings. But you, you got to understand, when I started in church, this was informal. Uh, it's not that way anymore. Matt Chandler made me a believer because he was talking about election one day. And the way he put it stuck with me. He said that God in his heaven looked down through the ages, through all the filth and ugliness of sin, and he saw me, and he said, he's mine. Spurgeon said, it's good that God chose us from the foundation of the world. Because if he had waited until we were born and looked at us, he would have never picked us. I believe that we owe everything to him and nothing to us. That's what grace is. So today... Are you starting in the right place? That's how you glorify God initially. If you are saved, what does it mean to glorify God? In the passage, people were singing, they were playing instruments, they were dancing, all kinds of human expression to respond to God's grace and His love to us. Yeah, it was, ner- it was noisy, it was joyful, and they probably had a hard time settling down after it was over. But they were worshiping. God says to sing, and I didn't appreciate having a reasonably good singing voice until my little procedure here, but I'm Okay. Heaven's going to be a different dispensation, if I can use that word. And we'll worship for eternity. And then we glorify God by our works. We don't get saved because of what we do, but we do what we do because we are saved. And if you love somebody, you're going to want to please them. Jesus said the only way that you can prove that you're my disciples. It's not what you say, but what you do, if you do my commandments. Now, don't miss this one. Mark 3, 14. Easy to remember. Jesus called his disciples to go forth and, and preach the word and to do all these things, but don't miss this. He called them to be with him. What a phenomenal truth. The God of the universe, the creator of everything we see, the Savior of our soul wants to hang out with us. And it pleases God to be with His children. We went to a missions conference at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church. It's different than this one. 
I, we have more people in our Sunday school than a con any congregation I ever pastored. When you ask a question, they bring you a mic and you, you talk. But they had a missions conference, and there was a, a man from Kenya, Oscar, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his African name. But he said a lot of things that made a lot of sense. And he made a statement that made me think that I want to share with you. It's not original with me, but coming from Oscar, it makes sense. He said, the problem with the church in America is that you got too many Christians and not enough disciples. And he used the analogy. He said in the African church, using the, piss, the picture of a rifle, he said Africans say, ready, fire. And in America, we say, ready, aim, aim. Let's have another seminar on aiming. <laughs> he said, what are you waiting for, church? If your disciples always be ready to give an account of the hope that's within you. We've let the devil fool us into thinking that unless we're experts in the Word of God that we can't share. Ooh. Witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Who are you afraid of? Bob Harrington said one time, we're, we're you know, people say, well, the time's not right. We might run somebody off. Well, where are you going to run them, hell number two? We're so uptight about not getting anybody in or, or about running people off, we don't try to get anybody in. Think, ready, fire. Then let God take care of it. Before we make a dumb statement, like I've made, like I'd like to have the faith of Paul, Think about Paul's life. I'm not going to go back and read the scriptures, but it's not hard. Paul was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. Paul went through a lot. But he glorified God in the process. And some very supernatural things happened from the time Paul, who was an enemy of Christ, was saved by the presence of the living God. And I love the life of Paul. I, a couple of my passages that I, I love is, is when Paul made the Pharisees so mad that they tore their clothes and threw dust in there. Boy, I'd love to have been there to see that. And then another time, the sons of Sceva saw Paul casting out demons. And they, these were not believers, but they, they wanted the power. And they said, let's try that. And they said, I, I command you in the name of Paul, who knows Jesus, to come out of them. And the demon said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And they jumped out and beat them naked. 
Now, Matt Chandler shared this. He says, you know, if, if you run out of the house without any clothes on, I can look at you and say, dude, you lost. <laughs> so Paul had some supernatural experiences, but Paul died by getting his head cut off. So don't think that everything is going to be lovely. And I want to read a passage that spoke to us here at Lebanon, and then, then I'm going to wind this thing up. I remember one Easter sunrise service. We had been through drought in the spring. Everything was real humid and dry and just didn't feel or look right. The sun was coming up in a haze. And I'm reminded of that time when I read in Habakkuk where it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk in high places. A lot of the mega churches that we hear and see won't name any names, but they preach success, wealth, prosperity, and happiness all the time. The Apostle Paul, the prophet, and life itself paint a different picture. The Bible tells us that in Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I had an elder in one church I was in say, well, I've never had any persecution, and I didn't say it. I almost wish I had. Well, what have you ever done for the Lord? If you haven't been persecuted, beloved, hang on. It's coming. We live in a culture that is no friend to grace. It reminded me, I attended a church with Alice last Sunday, a new EPC church in the Knoxville area. And the pastor in his message reminded me that the gospel is at war with our culture for the soul of America. Now, we lived in Virginia for most of our ministerial life. You have a governor that believes in letting little babies lie on the table and die if they survive birth. Shame on us if we don't stand our ground. I gave a t-shirt to our grandson Andrew that I wish I'd have brought with me, but it said, I'd rather stand with God and be condemned by the world than to stand with the world and be condemned by God. Pretty simple. 
So we glorify God by standing with him and glorifying him. Modern wisdom says, do your own thing. The Bible, God's word, is too restrictive. Well, let me close with this one. And, Jeff, I don't think this applies to your son, but I heard a, of a young man that said, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to join the Marines. <laughs> to those who believe the Bible is too restrictive, this pastor was counseling with some drug-addicted people in a recovery place, whatever that was. And they wanted to be free from their addiction. But they didn't want to be restrained in any kind of way. And some of them were mothers, and they wanted to see their children. And what he said is, let me ask you a question. If you live in a house right next to a a highway can you let your children go outside and she said well not without protecting them he said well how can you do that how can you give your children freedom if they're right next to all that danger and they, they thought about it they thought about it they said put up a fence and he said good point see the ten commandments were given to us in God's grace. God's not some big old stern looking guy in a black robe that's ready to thump us on our head every time we're having fun. He gave us the law. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his word for our protection. We are free. But we are free to be a servant of the Lord. We are free within the boundaries of God's protection. And any time we move outside that boundary, we are in danger. And another way that I thought of that the pastor didn't cover, but I thought I would add it. How about going outside with your children? God came from heaven, and he is with us. If you love me, you keep my commandments, but also I'm with you always until the end of the world. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If he says always, reckon how long that is. You can't be anywhere. David said that. If I go to hell, if I, you're there. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. I can't go anywhere where God is not there. Of course that bothers us. It bothered Adam and Eve when they tried to hide when God came walking looking for them. God knew where they were. He wanted them to deal with it. And any time we're out of the will of God, as long as our conscience is bothering us, then we can rejoice because God is still working with us. I had a pastor friend of mine say at one time, said, Tom, if you get to a point where your sin doesn't bother you anymore, you're in trouble. Grace is greater than all my sin. Cindy taught the young people of this church a song one time when we had lay renewal. I had a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't know. I needed someone to wash my sins away. He did it. And he's still doing it. And you are safe. You are secure.
till the day that Jesus returns. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. But he also said in the last part of the Beatitudes, and remember this, he said, blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil things against you and they persecute you. Rejoice. Now, you'd have to be insane to rejoice in the middle of torture and persecution because of that. That's not why we rejoice. We rejoice when we go through the hard times because great is your reward in heaven. We are creatures of eternity. A Marine colonel one time, Merle Allender, said that we pray that God will deliver us out of all this. Sometimes God calls us to endure in the hard times for the hope that's before us. The same way Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The world's never going to understand you. The world's never going to be sympathetic with you. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. But I read the last chapter, and we won. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, and he'll come back. He won't come back as the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, as the baby in the manger. He'll come back as the conquering lion of Judah. And he won't come to take sides. He'll come to take over. And we'll be with him forever. And i got to stop because I think that's a good place. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you for this blessed opportunity to come and share your word. I pray, Lord, that any drivel that I've concocted would be wiped away from anybody's mind. But the truth of your word would take root and bear fruit. That we would walk through the hard times as well as the joyful times and give you the glory which we do right now, you and you alone. Bless this congregation, its pastor, its elders. Lord, all who come to hear your word, and may this church be a target of the baptism of your Holy Spirit, the fire of God to fall once more. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.